0: Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously, then we are The Natural Selection. On today's show, for a variety of reasons, including Amnesty International and a humanitarian code of ethics, this research has never been done.
1: I'm on a date with a secretary bird at a fun fair, and we've gone into the
0: Hall of Mirrors. Well, I had no idea that the Aztecs even had a concept of chihuahuas. (laughs) (laughs) So not that long ago, we did an episode on animal names. And I introduced that segment with words along the lines of, I don't know whether this is a topic or a rant, but there's something that I need to get off my chest. Yeah. Well, Roderick Shaw, dear listener... I don't know whether this is a topic or a rant, but there's something I need to get off my chest.
1: We go again.
0: So, the thing here that has particularly ground my gears this particular week is (laughs) (laughs) what really infuriates me is when I see blatant misinformation about animals, particularly online. Now, I do hate, one of my absolute pet peeves is whenever you go to a zoo or somewhere like that and people are just completely mis-IDing animals. Like, this is a little side tangent, but, you know, when you're stood there and someone's showing their kid and with absolute authority is saying, yeah. oh, look at the cheetah, and they're stood in front of the sign that says leopard. Or, yeah, you know, pheasant. Pick, yeah, <laughs> pick your assortment of animals and you will have all been in those situations. Um, and I'm not saying that I or we on this podcast know everything and always get everything right, okay? But there are some insane things out there particularly on the internet that are shared over and over again and have yeah. sort of become part of like the, the
1: fabric of the internet
0: yeah and yeah. it's those things that i wanna that, that really wind me up because they've got so su- they've got such a life on them like they started in the days of like uh chain emails and are now like tiktoks so there was one in particular that I saw again recently, because like I say, these have been around for a very long time, that brought this topic out. And uh, then I want to go into a couple of other examples.
1: But I saw uh, one recently as well, just before, because I don't know where you're going, but I might hazard a guess it may not be this because it sounds slightly different. But I recently saw a photo that had gone, like, I don't know what we're calling viral, but viral enough on Twitter, you know, tens of thousands of likes, etc., Um, And it was saying, you know, this is a photo of a baby peacock and it was quite clearly an AI, like it was so Disney-fied and, you know, it had like Pixar eyes and eyelashes and it was just like, like we've seen baby birds. They're hideous, monstrous creations that scream for, you know, insects to be shoved into them. Whereas this was like a Disney-fied shrunken peacock. And then you check the comments and everyone's like, oh my God, it's amazing. You know, God's creatures are so wonderful.
0: <laughs> and it's always, we'll, we'll get to this a little bit more, the yeah. God's creatures bit. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, I've seen that exact picture. I saw that one yeah. know, probably the same time as you. Um, and. There could be a whole separate. If we, if this was a visual medium, if I was doing yeah. a TED talk, I could do a whole slideshow of yeah. particularly birds that are either toys, AI generated, yeah, or um, a favorite one is owls that are just like bright red or blue. For some, there's something about <laughs> owls and people just like changing the color palette on owls and people being like, "Wow, so amazing!"
1: I mean, owls have been long overdue an upgrade, so. <laughs>
0: okay but where i want to go with this this was the story that brought it to mind again have you heard the story of the eagle's rebirth
1: no but i'm already smelling bullshit
0: (laughs) oh it's strong the force is strong with this one so (laughs) this like i say it's done the round in various forms but i went to a youtube video that had got 1.2 million views to get my wording for this okay so I'm going to tell you the story word for word. Roddy, listener, you're going to have to imagine the emotional slow piano music yourselves, I'm afraid. But rest assured, it was very much there.
1: So this is, this is word for word what the YouTube video, you've like transcribed it.
0: Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out and I, I had, have a few interjections along the way. So it starts with, the video opens with the story of the eagle. First sentence. The eagle has the longest lifespan of its species. Okay. Now, Wrong. I don't want to say that they took a swing and a miss right off the back. but Do, do I get a buzzer in this game that I can be like, eh, bullshit. <laughs> Your buzzer will be broken by the end, I swear yeah. to God. <laughs> but yeah, I, the eagle is the lo- has the longest lifespan of its species. I mean, where do we start with that? Like, yeah. I feel like they've got, already got a pretty poor handle on the concept of species. But all the imagery in this video is, of course, the bald eagle so let's yeah. go with that okay so we're going to stick with a bald eagle next in line so the eagle has the longest lifespan of its species it can live for up to 70 years a quick check shows the average lifespan for a bald eagle is 20 years and the oldest wild bird recorded is 38 okay next so eagles have longest lifespan of its species can live for 70 years but to reach this age the eagle must make some tough decisions Roddy, would you like to hazard a guess at what these tough decisions might be?
1: It'd want a career that had a decent pension plan. Um, it's got to start month...
0: following its head, not its heart.
1: Exactly. A mortgage that, you know, had a reasonable interest rate on the nest, perhaps locked in, certainly in this volatile economy. You wouldn't want it tied to inflation because next thing you know, the, the, the rate on the twigs in your nest is just going up and up and up and up and up. Similarly, like you said, you know, choosing a life partner that you know, I'm sure there's a lot of very exciting lady eagles, but maybe it would want to, you know, go down a more...
0: Yeah, stable. Exactly. Stable exactly. route. Yeah. So, well, I'm afraid to say, I mean, it's enti- what you just said is entirely as plausible as what comes next. So the video continues. <laughs> in its 40th year, bear in mind, no eagle, no wild eagle has ever been recorded living longer than 38. In its 40th year, it's long, flexible... Talons can no longer grab prey. Its long, sharp beak begins to bend. Its old-aged and heavy wings stick to their chest and make it difficult to fly due to their thick feathers. A reminder that every adult bird replaces all of its feathers at least once a year. (laughs) Buzz, 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 buzz. Yeah, all of that, all of the above. Anyway, Our eagle's talons aren't working, its beak is bending, and its wings are stuck to its chest. The video continues. Then the eagle is left with only two options. Die or go through a painful process of change. (laughs) This is something the eagle is choosing. I swear to God, listener, 1.2 million views. The process requires that the eagle fly to a mountaintop where it knocks its beak against a rock until it falls off. This is incredible horseshit. (laughs) Then the eagle will wait for a new beak to grow so it can pluck out its talons. When the talons start to grow back the eagle starts plucking its thick, heavy feathers. The eagle starves itself through this period of around 150 days, unable to eat anything because at any one time it's missing either its beak, its talons, or its feathers. (laughs) All it needed was a decent pension plan. (laughs) The uh, video continues. After this, the eagle takes its famous flight of rebirth and lives for another 30 years. Why is the change needed? To survive and live. And then it goes on a little spiel about how sometimes we need to change to survive. And that change might be hard, but draw upon the strength of an eagle. But I went into reading about this story some more. I mean,
1: I've often ripped the face off a pensioner before (laughs) then plucking them bald, (laughs) pulling their toes off and telling them, you know, you'll be reborn. It's going to be okay, Margaret. (laughs) That's why my job as a social worker didn't last too long. (laughs)
0: I, uh, one of the comments, one of the top comments, static C thirteen says, I did this and almost died. Don't use this tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> um But yeah, this is very much like like I said, this crops up all over the internet. I I'm going to say it's very much circled within a certain age and religious demographic. Mm-hmm. Old white American Christians, I'm looking at you. It's like very, very this is where it appears and it's always in the comments it's always you know some sort of religious teaching on how as a metaphor it's a nice metaphor as zoological fact it's complete bullshit.
1: I don't necess- I would say as a metaphor it's complete bullshit because <laughs> what is the metaphor here is <laughs> pull yourself apart and re- it's like Terminator style <laughs> metaphor you know when you reach a certain age replace all of your body parts <laughs> <coughs>
0: Um, I did find a comment thread, actually, from from a group of angry pastors who had come to the video to use it as inspiration um, for their sermons. So they'd heard this story, and they wanted to tell this story to their flock. What do you call them? I, I don't know congregation Are any of these words right am i in the ballpark at all Well, flock is very you know apt if we're talking eagles yeah so they'd come to it and they'd wanted to uh and they'd wanted to get the story right so that they could tell it in their in their preachings and they were incensed when they'd gone down into the comments and found that it was all wrong and there was this I mean, there was quite wholesome because they were you know not being hoodwinked by this but they were like oh i had come to I had come to uh, do more research on this story so that I could tell it and very disappointed to find that it's wrong. And then there was just a load of pastors, disappointed pastors in America, just being like, oh yes, I wanted to use this in my online teachings and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the comments were doing a pretty good job of counteracting this complete bullshit, although there were people on there still trying to defend it. But like I say, 1.2 million views. I have seen this around for a very, very long time. Now, when I... So this was the thing that brought me into this topic again recently. And when I was trying to do more research on the story, I typed it in and I came across an excellent website, Snopes.com. You familiar with Snopes?
1: Yeah, fact-checking type thing, right? Exactly. And it checks
0: all sorts of stuff. Like... Basically, if ever you see any clickbait fact, TikTok, video, tweet, it's a good idea to run it through Snopes because Snopes has been fact checking these sort of viral things for a long time. When I had a look on its main page, there were articles about whether the Smithsonian Museum had indeed destroyed thousands of giant human skeletons to hide them from the world. Whether the Titanic was in fact an inside job after all. Crafty people. (laughs) And whether it was actually the Grim Reaper in the background of the coronation of King Charles. <laughs> They're big questions. They're they are big, big questions. questions. And thankfully, we've got Snopes to to look into them. Now, yeah. when I found this Snopes article about the eagle, I saw that it was under the title of Wild Inaccuracies. So there's a whole group of articles on their website that are called Wild Inaccuracies. Okay, all relating to animals. So I went in to this list of um, things that Snopes have deemed to be so commonplace out there that they need addressing. Okay, so listener, I just want to look at a couple more that are obviously so widespread on the internet that they've merited this response from Snopes. Here's one straight off the bat. (laughs) Does owning a chihuahua cure asthma? (laughs) For people at the back, does owning a chihuahua cure asthma? But it doesn't even... There's in, like, a different world of... Like, the
1: eagle thing is a... There's
0: there's nothing linking them.
1: No, no, no. But what I mean is that line of bullshit fact is a misunderstanding of, like, a pretty major misunderstanding. But it's, it's not understanding eagles, whereas that is just... And like, I can I can kind of see if you were out there looking for a metaphor or this or that, that you might be drawn to that as obvious horseshit as it is. If you didn't know anything, you might go, oh, fine. But like chihuahuas and asthma are just not even linked in any, you know, like, why would any pet help a respiratory
0: <laughs> disease? When I saw the title of this article, I was like, you know, like, is it, like we've said on the podcast before, occasionally we just come across how many geese gold and yeah. does two chihuahuas cure asthma was an excellent one. But I want to tell you the story because it is actually uh, interesting to see where the links come from. Yeah. Um, so here's a couple of examples of emails that Snopes had received on this topic, which made them address it. OK, so this is... Can I just quickly, is Snopes, is it like Wikipedia where it's members of the
1: public who... Is it that kind of thing, or is it...
0: From what I understand, members of the public write in, but then there are staff at Snopes to make sure it is fact-checked. And some of the older articles that I read, I think the Eagle one, because it's been around for so long, was one of the first articles on Snopes. It was written in like 1990-something. And it was written by the founder of Snopes. Like the author is like written on there, and it was like by the guy who made it. So this
1: is institutional and historic (laughs) horseshit.
0: (laughs) So here's a couple of emails from Snopes. So a reminder that these are from members of the public that have written to Snopes, uh saying that they've heard about this thing and they would like it fact checking. So this is what one person had heard. So I have heard that the dog will pick out the one in the family with asthma and will sleep on their chest. Will cough and one day will cough up big black stuff and this cures the asthma sufferer. I couldn't believe my ears. My neighbour believes this a hundred percent and and. As advised by both her MD and a vet, she tried it and claims this has cured her son of asthma. Uh,
1: like, I've got nothing. I'm, well, I'm...
0: <laughs> here's, the second, here's the second one that's been written in. So like I say, been more than more than once. I have heard from numerous people that if a person who has asthma owns a chihuahua, the dog will actually exhibit asthma symptoms and the human's attack will be less severe. I ask because I have a chihuahua and have recently been diagnosed with asthma. It seems far-fetched, but my dog actually exhibits breathing problems, and I can't help but wonder if there is a chance I am making her sick.
1: You know, I often look at the terrifying state of the world, you know, 1.5 degree rise sea levels rising how we're we going to these very our economy is intricately connected to the fossil fuel industry and even if we de-fossil fuel you know moving to electric cars then you've got mining issues and getting the ingredients for the batteries and where are plastics going to come from and these big problems facing all of us thinking oh my god you know what an uphill challenge we have to educate the population on this <laughs> and then i hear do chihuahuas cure asthma and i just think we are hurtling off a cliff into certain oblivion.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like I say, this is not, this is a surprisingly popular belief. Uh, and the idea is to s- summarize the idea is that <laughs> Chihuahuas will take asthma out of a home, either their presence working to wipe out the disease or the animals themselves soaking up the illness resident in their human family, and so transferring it to themselves. So the rumour exists in sort of both ways. Either that something about the dogs can kill the asthma, or chihuahuas serve as some sort of canine illness sponge, which just, like, yeah. absorb it all.
1: Like a sort of dehumidifier. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, this has actually resulted in families with asthmatic children going out and buying chihuahuas, and having them as family pets.
1: This is mental.
0: Some some believers of this insist that the child must sleep with the chihuahua if the remedy is to be affected. Some specify that the dog must actually lie on the child's chest itself to be as close contact as possible with the asthma. So, what, and I stress, the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Are you ready to spin the wheel and see what other mad thing we can add to this melting pot that you didn't see coming? Is it uh, a, is it like an animal wheel and an illness wheel, like chihuahuas no, no, so, will so... <laughs>
1: rid you of, you know, stage three lymphoma?
0: <laughs> no, this is we've now, What I've now done is I've brought in a completely separate wheel. Okay. To uh, of just random things <laughs> to add to the melting pot of chihuahuas and uh, asthma. Okay. Okay, I'm ready. The Aztecs.
1: A great wheel. (laughs) I'm a big fan of a wheel already.
0: Because the people who state this belief as fact will often say that it was the Aztecs that came up with this remedy first. Yes. So this is one of those moments... So I delved into this a bit more. And this is one of those moments where two things collide that you hadn't even thought about in terms of like in terms of time. So you know when there's, you find out that the... Jack, it,
1: there's <laughs> a lot colliding right now that I hadn't ever thought about. Never mind two things. <laughs>
0: Well, you know when you find out that, like, the Egyptian pyramids were being built at the same time as mammoths?
1: Yes, okay.
0: Like, uh, yeah, so the mammoths were still alive when the Egyptian pyramids were being built. Well, I had no idea that the Aztecs even had a concept of chihuahuas. (laughs) 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 Lo and behold, they did. Now, obviously, I knew that chihuahuas were originally from Mexico because Chihuahua is the name of a Mexican state. But the thing I didn't appreciate was how old the breed of dog is, because they're actually referred to... Like, colonial records refer to small, small, nearly hairless dogs at the beginning of the 19th century. One claims that 16th century conquistadors found loads of them in the state that is now known as Chihuahua. And uh, in a letter written in 1520, Hernan Cortez wrote that the Aztecs raised and sold little dogs as food.
1: Yep, okay.
0: So... It, they were around... Small dogs, potentially the same as chihuahuas, were around when the Az- in the Aztec civilization. And it seems that they eventually became regarded as some sort of spiritual guide that would help a dead Aztec make their way to the afterlife, with part of that process involving the animal absorbing the sins of the person who died. Okay. So... That link may bear enough of a resemblance to the chihuahua's cause asthma theory in that a dog is absorbing something that we don't want. So the Aztec theory cannot be completely dismissed, but it is believed to be unlikely. But it's often mentioned when someone says, why the fuck are you saying that a chihuahua is going to cause asthma? The defense is, well, the Aztecs came up with it.
1: Yeah. And there is no greater sin than asthma. <laughs> So if chihuahuas are a sin sponge, asthma's top of the tree.
0: So more plausible as to where this idea came from is the explanation that because a lot of chihuahuas wheeze and make breathing noises, they sound like they're struggling with asthma. That could have been linked to a dog developing the disease. And people desperately looking for a cure may have interpreted it as once they got a chihuahua in the home and they heard it start wheezing that the asthma was sort of catching to the dog
1: dude wait until these people learn about pugs (laughs) like they are going to be growing third fourth and fifth lungs from nothing if they think that a wheezing dog is all that's needed to help you with your Uh, respiratory issues. I think
0: pugs are probably so riddled with everything that they could just be the universal cure that mankind has been searching for. The Lazarus (laughs) pit in dog form. The Lazarus pug. (laughs) (laughs) So, on top of this... So, on top of the idea that chihuahuas make all these sort of breathing and wheezing noises, you've got the fact that asthma in children often disappears... So about half of young sufferers will actually lose their symptoms during childhood or adolescence. So yep. put these two things together and you've got people drawing drawing a link between the fact that, oh, I've got a chihuahua in my home that started wheezing. My child's asthma has disappeared. It must be the chihuahua that's absorbed the asthma. And maybe add a little sprinkle of Aztec Spice in there and you've got, with where we've ended up, with the fact that this is actually a thing that people believe.
1: Always have it to hand, never cook without it.
0: (laughs) So we've got our eagles, we've got our chihuahuas, and I just want to finish on... I wanted to try and pick one, because obviously they are ridiculous, and I reckon our listeners are a pretty smart bunch, not wanting to pat ourselves on the back too much, but I think we've got you know a pretty solid... Group of listeners. Yeah, and not I would gonna... say
1: that there's not a single one of our listeners employing a chihuahua to help with asthma. <laughs>
0: at, so I... at least. <laughs> so I wanted to try and find. I wanted to end on something that I think some of our listeners may believe. Okay. Yep. And I fell on two when I looked through the list of Snopes articles. I fell on two that I could see as being something that you know they're not too outlandish. Uh, and there's something that our listeners I'm sure will have heard and may dare i say have told other people so number 1 duck quacks don't echo and no one knows why i've heard this one i think we've probably all heard it because if you like search through any top whatever animal facts long enough this will come up or even yeah. just like top 10 general Quirky facts. Duck quacks don't echo and nobody knows why. As Snopes excellently puts it, anyone who has used the internet for more than a week has probably come across at least one of those annoying lists of facts in inverted commas. Dozens and dozens of items of no real significance that somebody thought would be cool for you to know. Yep. Like I say, I bet that many people listening have heard it. Snopes continues... The premise is just silly. A duck's quack, and presumably, of all the sounds known to man, only a duck's quack has some special sonic <laughs> property that causes it not to echo.
1: Yeah, they'd be employing it in sort of military stealth tech. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? you just have tanks that were quacking or as something. The,
0: as they rolled around. Yeah. So ignoring the fact that all ducks do sound completely different and make lots of different noises of pitches and tones, let's just assume that there is a singular duck's quack. The omni-quack. <laughs> In 2003, at the Acoustics Research Centre at the University of Salford in Greater Manchester, a team decided to put this to the test because a few weeks earlier, they'd taken a call from BBC Radio 2, who wanted to know what, what the deal was with this, whether, you know, ducks quacks did indeed echo or not. The laboratory manager had explained that a quack would, just like any other sound, echo, but Radio 2 still broadcasted the idea that ducks quacks don't echo because there wasn't actually anyone who properly tested it. Mm-hmm. So... Like any good annoyed scientist, they set out to prove a point. Yep. They got a farm to lend them a duck called Daisy, and they first put her in a anechoic chamber, which is an ultra silent room where sound doesn't reflect, so that they could get the base the neat quack. (laughs) (laughs) A quack quack. in its a quack in its purest form. A quack. Ninety-nine point seven percent pure quack, as cooked by Walter White
1: himself. Unrefined. A quack so clean it would bring a tear to God's eye.
0: (laughs) So, they recorded the baseline quack. They then moved her into a reverberation chamber where, and I quote from research scientist Trevor Cox, in this room Daisy's quacks sounded evil and ghostly as they echoed around the room. We had created the ultimate sound effect for a horror movie provided the film featured a vampire duck. Is that quack recording available oh i don't know
1: actually is it on youtube to have the omni horror quack and then the clean quack
0: (laughs) i don't know well we get in touch with trevor and ask yeah so they'd they basically proved that in a reverberation chamber you know the quack is echoing all over just like any other sound but obviously in a reverberation chamber that's the point it is made to test sounds in theatres and things like that to get an idea of how sound bounces off the walls. So they did try to test it out in the field, out on various rivers and ponds, but they weren't able to hear a clear, audible echo reflection from Daisy's original call because duck quacks are generally quite soft and quiet, and the sound coming back is often so low that it might not be heard. And it's also a, a fading sound that has gradual decay, so it's hard to actually tell the difference between the actual quack and the echo. But yep. they did prove that it does indeed. So Trevor decided to update the famous quote from being duck, duck quacks don't echo to a duck's quack does echo, but it's impossible to hear unless the bird quacks while flying under a bridge, mm. which is a little bit less catchy. But duck quacks do not indeed echo. They yep. uh, do indeed echo. So my other fact, if that didn't yeah, trip don't you cock up. cock that up. That's the, yeah. whole, the whole premise. <laughs> All that. And then... yeah. So, my other fact. If that didn't get you, listener, I'm hoping this one did. Because I would argue that this is maybe the most famous zoological um, myth that does the rounds. It's one of them. Can you give me a clue? It's about an insect. Can I have the insect? If I tell you, you're going to get it. Okay. Daddy long legs. Oh,
1: super venomous, but the teeth are... Not the teeth, the... Mouthparts, Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Are Too small to bite you, but they've got the most potent venom. Yeah, yeah. The
0: fact is, Daddy Longlegs is the most poisonous animal in the world, but its fangs can't break human skin. Now, first of all, it's always written as poisonous, but as yeah. you rightly said there, Roddy, we're talking about venom, because the difference being poison is ingested and venom is injected. So... Another big problem with this fact is actually what a Daddy Long Legs is, because what is a Daddy Long Legs to you?
1: So I would... um, Yeah, I would say the crane flies, but then there are those heathens, unbelievers, people who have strayed from the path, who would call them, I think, the spiders. Uh, They're kind of... You get them in attics, and I don't know what the spider is actually called, but tiny body, very long-legged spider. And then there are the complete hordes of the great unwashed who might actually even be referring to a harvestman, <laughs> which isn't anything like the above two. But
0: yeah. yeah, by and large, it's anything small body, spindly legs. Now, to me, uh, Daddy Longlegs is a crane fly, just as you said. Big old fly, long legs, wings, flies around. Um, and uh, apparently that's that's a very England-focused thing. Okay. But yes, obviously... Well, crane flies, when they're adults, in their adult form, they don't really eat anything. So they're not great at the whole biting thing. So yep. we can completely discount crane fly and that the daddy long legs myth isn't related to crane flies. Okay. Daddy long legs are generally around the falseid family of spiders. So things like the long legged cellar spider are the ones That's that we're probably talking about here. Probably the one I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And... Snopes often cites its, you know, its sources when it's um, debunking these things. And for this one, it went to the University of California, which says there is no reference to any falsed spider biting a human and causing any detrimental reaction. If these spiders were indeed deadly venomous, but couldn't bite humans, the only way we would know this is by milking them and injecting the venom into humans. For a variety of reasons, including Amnesty International and a humanitarian code of ethics, this research has never been done.
1: (laughs) Some good reasons there.
0: There is no scientific basis for the supposition that they are deadly venomous, and there is no reason to assume that this is true. So, listener, let me know forgot you with any of those because I'm hoping that one of the ducks or the daddy long legs is something that you will have certainly heard and maybe have passed on yourself now I just want to finish by saying that's the end of the segment but I really enjoyed reading about this and listener if you have any things that you have heard that you have like have always just assumed is true or you've been told and always been suspicious don't google it just send it to us on the Howdy yeah. Geese Instagram account. We'll look into it. And who knows? Maybe this is a segment we can come back to. Maybe it's a segment that can keep popping up where we will fact check your animal myths or stories that you've been told. Or if you've seen something going viral on Twitter, send it to us and we can have a look.
1: Absolutely. Okay. We're back with our sponsors, Birda, the Bird Watching app, who have joined us again for these special episodes which we've got lined up.
0: And Jack, you were naming them all throughout, so what have you got for us this time? In a segment that I am calling Burder to light a single candle than to curse the darkness. <laughs> we've started
1: off strong. Exactly. And guiding us through the darkness <laughs> with a feathery candle of hope. <laughs> is Birda. So for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar, Birda is a social networking app based all around birdwatching and getting people back out into nature and seeing the world around them.
0: And what's, what's been great is since we've been working with them, like we've seen lots of... Like, we've seen people who listen to the show using it and and having a great time with the app and uh, tagging us in all sorts of stuff that they're seeing. And yeah, it's been really great.
1: Absolutely. We've been seeing the Swifts returning to the UK Mm. through people sharing their Birder posts. And in the month of June, you can get the How Many Geese badge. Yes, you can. If you log 15 sightings on Birder throughout the month of June, you will get the, I would say, Digital Media's Most Prestigious Award.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's an app that turns the discovery and exploration of bird life and the outdoors into a game It uses challenges leaderboards and badges as mentioned and people can like and support and everything else Jack obviously is a bit more rural than where I am If you follow me on Birder, you're gonna get a lot of pigeons (laughs) A lot of pigeons (laughs) I uh, had Birder up, I went to the seaside yesterday and hit Birder while I was sat down having my lunch Seagulls and pigeons Yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but swifts as well so yeah, it oh, does nice. it does tune you that much more in and suddenly i was focusing i was listening i heard a sparrow nest in the building um yeah right. so definitely get out there check out Birda, download it and if you are going to be downloading it which of course we hope you are go to the link in our um, spotify page and on all the app pages and there'll be a special how many geese link click on that to get you through to Birda. we'll put it on the instagram page as well and so this week's bird of the week Birders, bird of the week, lighting the candle in the darkness is the cormorant. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> now, this is, well, Jack, I think no. you can maybe shed a bit of light. I- First of all, <sighs> just let everyone know what a cormorant is. Okay. And then, take
0: us through your size and weary age,, Ugh, I just like you know you mentioned Swifts then, and we've gone quite literally from the sublime to the ridiculous, so <laughs> a, a cormorant, what is a cormorant so it's a water bird, it's a pretty big thing, but it's maybe uh if you if a cormorant was next to me it'd be knee high yeah there we go that's good so it's a sort of again work that out to everyone (laughs) (laughs) who can't see how tall i am (laughs) um but they're biggish birds is what i'm trying to get at you know they're relatively big birds they're really noticeable birds and they're water birds and when they swim they often swim quite low in the water and it's their head that you see coming up and they're diving for fish and they can spend quite a lot of time underwater and underwater they are really really you know they are very elegant they can swim they're very like supremely adapted but my gripe with the cormorant is i have gone on record on this podcast and said before that i think they are the worst bird now Mm. all birds are created equal but some are much more equal than others and the (laughs) cormorant is right down at the bottom of the list and That's because my main gripe with the cormorant is it's a water bird that's not waterproof. So you will see them. One of the most iconic poses of the cormorant is when it is drying out its wings. And it will stand on a rock or a post or a tree and it will hang its wings out to dry. So it'll stand there with its wings open. And it has to do this even in the depths of winter. So a freezing cold January day, your cormorant sat there, drying itself out and it's just like just hurry up and evolve guys like all the (laughs) other water birds have got with the program and the water effortlessly runs off of their backs and the cormorant's just sat there freezing it's freezing its feathers off now
1: i'm going to hit you with a counterpoint because one of the great things about Birda is that each bird is logged in there and it's got a species guide page with some fun facts and the fun fact that we've been sent that Birda has got on the cormorant you didn't mention here now you've critiqued the cormorant that's its am. lack of waterproofing but listen to this getting their feathers completely waterlogged means they can dive to depths averaging 19 feet and have been recorded
0: to dive up to depths of 150 feet 150 feet that's deep that's deep okay so what we're saying is we're spinning this on its head and saying that it's that it's all part of the plan a lifetime of bird study <laughs> Is about to be flipped on its head for Jack Baddams <laughs> with
1: Birda peeling back the curtain. Oh
0: man, the Cormorant Yeah, the Cormorant was in
1: on it all along. Well, because if you think about it, penguins have increased their depth diving through solid bones yep. at a cost of their flight. Mm. But Cormorants
0: have kept their flight and are maybe just taking out some of the buoyancy of the feathers. Interesting. I could because yeah, you're not trapping you're not going to be as good at trapping air between your feathers okay i am more enlightened to the cormorant i still don't like it but i am more enlightened to the cormorant do you want one more fact before we wrap up on cormorants oh yeah maybe maybe i'll be a super fan by the end (laughs)
1: Well, this has got to be a hell of a fact if I've only got yeah. one more and it's going to turn you <laughs> to a superfan. But um, they've got very strange feet and one of their toes is serrated
0: and looks like a comb. And it's a special toe that they use to preen their feathers. Mm, these are called pectinate claws and herons also have these as well. And it's basically because the cormorant's quite a long build bird and it's really, really tricky for them to preen the feathers on the back of their neck because their bill's so long and they often can't reach or you know around the head and things like that so it's quite difficult for long-billed birds to preen areas that are you know relatively close to their bill so they have these really cool pectinate claws which yeah just like you said serrated like a comb and it means that they can scratch their feathers and basically do the preening motion and
1: then lastly Birda will let you know where cormorants have been seen in your areas i mean they're pretty i think not I, mean, I don't know if i want to say ubiquitous but yeah. they're they're common enough i'm in the middle of london here we get them on the thames as jack said you can see them drying off but also at the wildfowl and wetland trust reserves there's going to be plenty of them there and i'm sure jack there's some near wherever you are yeah right y- now.
0: you can you can find them pretty much on any large body of water both inland or at the coast the cormorants you know i give them a bit of i give them a bit of shade but they're good at what they do they're everywhere
1: they're good at what they do and they've got such an iconic stance
0: when they're drying that you can sort of impress your friends because you'll just know immediately what that bird is yeah that is true and you can tell them that it's maybe not as shit at evolution as i have previously said (laughs) on this podcast
1: (laughs) go to our pages click on the
0: link download birder and get outside It's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now, today's animal has been submitted by Laura on Instagram and it is the Harpy Eagle. Let's get to know our foe. Hailing from the tropical forests of Central and South America, the Harpy Eagle is one of the largest, most powerful eagles on earth. As with many birds of yeah. prey, it's the females that are larger with a wingspan of up to 2.2 metres and a weight of just under 10 kilos. Yeah. <laughs> Roddy's got his head in his hands. yes. Yeah. Christ, Laura, what have you done? <laughs> They're striking looking birds with a slaty black back, white underside and these really cool tiger striped legs. They have a lighter grey head, big black beak and a double crest, which they can raise. Now, I got to admit, they're really fearsome, but if you Google harpy eagle and look at the pictures, you will see some of them where they've got their crest raised, and they look infinitely less terrified when they've got their crest raised, and they look some, like some sort of Muppet character. But you really do need to be very wary of them, as they are the top of the food chain in the forest that they live in, where they mainly hunt tree-dwelling mammals, particularly sloths and monkeys. They've been recorded killing howler monkeys that can weigh almost the same weight as the eagles themselves, but they've got a huge variety of things that they've been recorded eating, so things like porcupines, tamanduas, armadillos, kinkajous, coatis, margays, which are a type of cat, crab-eating foxes, deer fawns, young wild pigs, macaws, vultures, iguanas, snakes, tortoises, and even reports of them hunting ocelots as well. They deliver the killing blow with their huge talons, the largest of any living eagle species, with the average length in females being about 12 centimetres long. They're basically, their feet are basically like boxing gloves with steak knives coming out of them. So, Roddy Shaw, bearing all that in mind, how many harpy eagles are too many harpy eagles?
1: Laura, when this is done, you and I are going to have words.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they are... King of the birds. Yeah.
1: I mean, obviously you are, you know, a fan of birds, as we know. That's not to say I'm not a fan, but these are... No one can look at these and not be like, that is a
0: serious, serious bird. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Have you uh, seen, there was a documentary, I think it was BBC, The Monkey Eating Eagles of the Orinoco.
1: I don't know if I've seen the whole documentary as such, but... The
0: bit that I'm going to talk about, you probably have. I think I know the guy. I think, yeah, I think we both do actually. Yeah. Um, So this is particularly pertinent when it comes to fighting. So this was a documentary where people were rigging cameras into the nest of a harpy eagle. And to go and put the camera in the nest, they had to wear like full-blown riot gear. And uh, once they put the camera in the nest, I believe it was on the way back down or the way back up. um, One of the team... I can't remember which one it was or whether it was Waldo, the guy that we know. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the team was hit by one of the Harpy Eagles with the talons and just tore a hole straight through this Kevlar-like armor. Yeah, they had to wear full-on riot helmets and everything.
1: Now, you said something very interesting. You said that when their crests are up, they look much less threatening. Well, I'd just like to explore under what circumstances may their crest
0: come up i think it's in general i don't know specifically with harpy eagles so i talk in generally for birds it's often crests are used for display for making themselves bigger if they feel a little bit threatened or for uh, alarm which is sort of tied in with the first one but the reason i say that i don't think they look as threatening is because i have told people about harpy eagles before and i've told them about amazing and ferocious these birds are and then i've been like oh google one google one and then they google it And then they, the pictures that come up are the ones where they've got their little crests up, and they don't quite have the same reaction that I wanted people to have to the harpy eagle because they're like, this bird, this one that (laughs) looks like a little, like someone's got their hand up it and I'm making it talk. Um, But yeah, that's that's where I think they'd have their crest up. Mm. And why why
1: might a harpy eagle be angered at me?
0: disdain for anything other than a harpy eagle (laughs) just general apathy to anything else that's not on its level
1: okay i am famously not a harpy eagle so (laughs) disdain is gonna yeah
0: i i reckon they look down on all other forms of life you know we've said secretary bird um we said secretary bird has a sort of high opinion of itself but i think a harpy eagle has got like just rage against anything that's not on its level you know well,
1: with you with you mentioning secretary bird i mean secretary birds have a similar ish vibe yeah. uh, the color scheme in as much as gray crested eagle black elements would it be fair i can't picture the exact patterns of a harpy eagle i can picture a secretary better but for example a harpy eagle and a secretary eagle body not the long legs but body is possibly like they definitely look closer than a harpy eagle and perhaps i don't know like a bald eagle like they're deaf you know bald eagle
0: okay yeah white head
1: brown body but secretary and harpy they're both gray they both have crests they both there is some similarity there yeah as we've also mentioned secretary birds are without doubt the sexiest animal very true so if we're to follow this to its natural conclusion what i'm getting is I'm on a date with a secretary bird and it's pissed (laughs) off a harpy eagle because neither of us are harpy eagles. And it's looking at the secretary bird saying, I'm better. Like it can see some similarity, but saying I'm better.
0: Yeah. And I think what a secretary bird would do, this is the difference I think between secretary birds and harpy eagles. One is the secretary bird, if it thinks you're not on its level, it just turns around and walks away. You know, it's too bad. I think a harpy eagle just obliterates (laughs) anything that it doesn't feel is worthy of life. Yes. You could just be walking through the jungle and if a harpy eagle is aware of your existence and doesn't deem it to be sufficient, it just ends it. (laughs)
1: Like some kind of death star. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yeah. Just... (laughs) obliterating you from the planet (laughs) judge jury and very much executioner yeah but you've mentioned display and also i don't want it to fly because as we've said if it's flying if it can obliterate flight equals obliterate i feel a harpy eagle contained and on the ground is far more manageable than
0: a harpy eagle that can fly once it can fly dead and it would need to be on the ground as well because even if it was relatively contained the thing about harpy eagles although they are one of the biggest eagles there are eagles with bigger wingspans harpy eagles have comparatively i mean we're still talking about a wingspan of like two meters but comparatively quite a short wingspan because they're used for hunting in the trees they nip through the trees and they're grabbing monkeys off of branches and things like that
1: yes yes now all of that being the case i've got it cracked I'm on a date with a secretary bird at a fun fair, and we've gone into the Hall of Mirrors. And it's in the Hall of Mirrors (laughs) that I can take a harpy eagle, because it can't spread its wings, and there's so many reflections there that its crest is going to be up, because it's going to be confused and thinking there's a million, so it's immediately going to be stuck on the ground and less intimidating.
0: And also, it's going to be, because harpy eagles, they're found over a big, broad area of uh, the Americas, so from sort of southern Mexico right down into Brazil, but they're very rare across their range, so they don't come in contact with each other that much. Right, And I actually don't know what a harpy eagle thinks about other harpy eagles. I don't even... Like, I'm struggling to know if they'd even respect another harpy eagle or not. I feel like they have a base level of tolerance but I feel like their rage is almost so individual that it's just any other living creature. But does a harpy
1: eagle even acknowledge the existence of other harpy eagles? Surely every harpy eagle thinks it is the only harpy eagle, in as much as going back to the Death Star. If a second Death Star suddenly rolled across the field of the captain of the Death Star, he'd be like, we're the Death Star, what is that? Cheap imitation.
0: So yeah, I think, I think being faced with the hall of mirrors that harpy eagle is going to suddenly have some sort of existential crisis exactly
1: exactly but it has to be it's definitely it's one harpy eagle it's one harpy eagle there's no there's there's no hubris on my part here it's one harpy eagle however the the method for tackling said harpy eagle is in a hall of mirrors it suddenly gets overwhelmed. There's now 100 reflections of itself. There's those, you know, when you stand between two mirrors and like a lift and you get an infinity. That will melt the brain of a harpy eagle in just trying to understand what is possibly going on. Its crest is up. And it is one of, like, it's a hall of mirrors, funfair situation that opens into a kind of, like you get out the end and there's like animatronic, creepy animals, like, like a band, like... Chuck E. Cheese in the States kind of thing. What I'm saying is it comes out, it eventually, it's so, it's bouncing off the mirrors, it's delirious, it's riddled with shame, its emotions are all over the place, it's flustered, it's frustrated, and then it stumbles onto a stage where, with its crest popped up, there's suddenly a room full of children cheering at an animatronic (laughs) Muppet band, and it just cannot possibly process. And me and the smug secretary bird... I started this saying I was on a date with the secretary bird. It's played in in no part of this whatsoever. It's <laughs>
0: almost as if you just like wanted to get it in there.
1: Well, I just, I was trying to work out what would piss a harpy eagle off. And I started thinking a sexier version of it on the basis yeah. they looked similar. But then we both agreed that actually life itself would piss a harpy eagle off. So <laughs> the secretary bird plays no part. But, but hey, you're having a good time. Exactly. So... It goes through the hall of mirrors, completely discombobulates itself, only to then stumble forth onto some kind of cheap stage at a fun fair, surrounded by animatronic band animals with cheering children. And it breaks the harpy eagle down mentally to such a degree that it is then in, in a kind of like just mentally broken, Polly want a cracker? Polly want a cracker? <laughs> like it spends the rest of its life with its crest up sort of dancing to a funfair tune in front of an animatronic band. That is textbook how you take a harpy eagle. Okay. Right. We've got a question here from Charlotte underscore rose underscore cottage. Who asks us a goose gains ownership of a time machine? What butterfly effects can we anticipate? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. So to put a couple immediate thoughts on this, if we're talking butterfly effects, the goose is going back in time, obviously. Yeah. I guess we have to think about some key historical moments and how a goose
0: might interact with them. What time machine are we say? And I love the idea of one just like screeching into ancient Rome in a DeLorean. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Okay
0: immediate thoughts based on something that we said uh, a few episodes ago yep um was when we said that geese had got a gripe with uh, medieval England and I think Henry the eighth I think we said specifically oh there's a lot of there's a lot of banquets where they yep. eat waterfowl copious amounts of you know, you look back through the records, and they're eating cranes and all sorts and stuff. But they eat a lot of geese, so that's immediate yep. thoughts. Would they go back and settle the score? Would these intelligent geese from the future?
1: So geese have a bone to pick with Henry the Eighth. Let's follow this through a little bit. Goose time machine goes back to I can't think of the day. I think it's like fourteen hundred odds, and with Henry the Eighth, they I'm assuming end it. By turn in the tables, they kill Henry VIII, they stuff him with smaller Henrys, and they eat Henry VIII. What does this then mean? Henry VIII then doesn't disentangle England and Britain from the Catholic Church, because he never ends up needing to set up the kind of Church of England, just so everyone knows this is not a historical podcast, so we're reaching here. Don't write in, but whatever, we're
0: going to anyway. Yeah, so he basically wants to divorce one of his wives. He's not allowed to do that under the Catholic Church, so he goes, fine, I'll set up my own church, and that's why we have the Church of England. Let's say the geese get him before then, then there's no need. Then the Church of England doesn't get created, so we're still all Catholic, and the Pope lives here.
1: Yeah, some other spin-off real-world possible branches of this timeline as well. If the British monarchy remain Catholic, then... The Northern Ireland Republic of Ireland situation may never,
0: you know, there's possibly geese, a, go, this, geese go back to get revenge on Henry VIII, and in 2023 we have a United Ireland.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's what we're saying. Yeah, okay. So that that's that's Butterfly Effect Volume One. Okay, <laughs> okay. Butterfly Effect Volume two where else would they this want to is go like back? um like a sort of rick and morty episode or something where they like push the button and it's like you know you landed on henry the <laughs> and the solution is a united
0: ireland <laughs> yeah where else would they go back for volume two what else would geese have a bone to pick with
1: what what is a goose it's the physical embodiment of chaos and fury.
0: Or maybe it's not, you know. So the question asks, a goose gets hold of a time machine. Yeah. The goose might just like accidentally stumble into a time machine, press some okay. buttons with its beak, and just be sent back to... Like, it might not be in its mind to actually go there. It might not have a reason. It might just... A, an act, a goose might just end up in a place. like. So now we're at some kind of Mr. Bean-esque yeah, goose. Yeah, like a goose just... During the Declaration of Independence, spontaneous goose. Just, like, out of the ether. <laughs> just, like, bouncing around while they're trying to sign the Declaration of Independence. Okay, so... So what historical situation would be made infinitely more chaotic by adding a spontaneous goose from the future?
1: Well, let's just follow that through a little bit more. A goose, in all of its chaotic and furious energy, emerges at the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the... I don't know if they're the... Is the Declaration of Independence the same as... Is it the original draft of the Constitution? Is that what's got the kind of amendments of...
0: what I'm trying Pass. to work
1: out at is if a goose interrupts the signing of the Declaration of Independence, are there tighter gun laws in America in 2023? <laughs> Does it fuck up the Second Amendment? Like, it smudges it, there's feathers flapping everywhere, and everyone is just looking at it forevermore like, the people shall have the right to bear farms. <laughs> like, and there's a very big, an even bigger agricultural
0: presence throughout America, and uh, fewer school shootings. You don't think that... A spontaneous goose from the future emerging at a situation like that actually maybe puts the forward for for more guns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
1: imagining literally, like, maybe it emerges just after they've signed it, but the ink hasn't dried, uh, and in the chaos, it it smudges the
0: like when you amendment. See, like when you see footprints in the cement. It's just exactly. goose prints over exactly. <laughs> the second amendment.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Okay.
0: <laughs> the Nuremberg
1: rallies. <laughs> I mean there's there's
0: there's also plenty of moments in history where uh, a goose would have no impact. Like goose arrives in Pompeii during the eruption of Vesuvius. N- negligible
1: impact. <laughs> but imagine that was like some kind of future sentient space goose that was actually trying to spread some kind of message but the people of Pompeii we're just like the hell is this goose doing? And then history continued. Maybe we will one day excavate a <laughs> a goose in a space in suit. a pyroclastic flow. <laughs> yeah. Building of the pyramids. Yes. So we've got the likes of Anubis and various animal-headed
0: deities. Mm. I can't think of a goose. A goose god. Is there a god of geese? There are. There is no god of geese. There are some goose murals in ancient Egypt um, Okay. Uh, with, drawn within... the. I don't know if they are hieroglyphics themselves or just pictures. Um, because there's actually some debate about whether the ancient Egyptians drew a species of goose that no longer exists because it doesn't Ooh. actually look like any of the geese that we have nowadays or whether they were using creative license. But yes, there is no god of the geese. Maybe a goose would want to set that right.
1: But then what might that... I don't, what led? Why did Egyptian civilization crash?
0: Oh, I don't know. Like you say, we're, I, we're definitely not a history podcast. Why did Egyptian civilization end? I feel like Rome had something to do with it. Okay.
1: There's a couple reasons for this, including a loss of military power, lack of natural resources, and political conflicts. Right. A goose appears in ancient Egypt. Mm-hmm. They then, you know, zip, zip, zop, worship the goose. Okay, they have a goose-headed deity, and it becomes, obviously, their avatar of war, conflict, fury, chaos. Mm-hmm. Okay, The Egyptian civilization then becomes a far more militaristic people. In terms of natural resources, the goose rules with an iron wing and just has bread on bread on bread on bread made forever. Political conflicts, it is bullish in a way that Donald Trump could only ever dream of in how it handles political discourse. (laughs) Egyptian civilization rallies behind the god goose and dominates Northern Africa, conquers the Roman Empire. In conquering the Roman Empire and the Greeks, what does that mean? Democracy doesn't happen and the whole planet falls to the whim of the goose. (laughs) There's some big butterfly effects here. There's some big butterfly I love
0: the idea of like their (laughs) their influence being so universal that like at the excavation of the terracotta warriors, they're just all geese. (laughs) 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 Just like all all these major things in history just become geese. So like all the the terracotta goose army. And what was that big, is it the Colossus of Rhodes or whatever? That's that statue that was supposed to stand over and it was just a giant goose over the port of Rhodes. Yes,
1: yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. The Great Wall of China (laughs) just the the kind of guard because you know there's like the guard stacked um towers between stretches of the wall each of those towers is just built in the form of a goose
0: yeah but i think what we've landed on here is all the major ancient wonders of the world become influenced by the power of the goose
1: yeah yep and be it mr bean goose or a goose of higher intelligence
0: yeah yeah the seven wonders of geese yes
1: (laughs) The Hanging Gardens of Babylonk. <laughs> so I've just searched key moments in history, and I'm going to say that some of these are above our pay grade for weaving geese into them. We've got World War II. Is a goose going to
0: go back and kill baby Hitler?
1: <laughs> We've got 9-11. Oh, God. Is a goose going to go back and kill baby bin Laden? We've got the Great Depression. <laughs> Cold War. <laughs> Could a goose ease relations between the USSR? Nuclear tensions between America and the US. Yeah. We've got the fall of the Berlin Wall. A goose being present for the fall
0: would be... Well, you'd want to put it back up if there was a <laughs> goose on the other side. <laughs> right, put the wall up, keep the goose out. Uh,
1: the Gulf War. I got nothing. No. Yep. Uh, Wall Street crash, don't know. Declaration of Independence. Oi. Tick. Vietnam War. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pearl Harbor. The wow. Great Fire of London.
0: Oh.
1: Started in the bakery, didn't it? Yeah. On Pudding I'm... Lane. Where if it started in a bakery? Was it caused by a goose? <gasps> why? Why? What? Well, it's just going in for some bread, isn't it? Causing uh, chaos, as we've said. Flapping, feathers everywhere. Suddenly there's a fire. London burns down. But I don't know what the... God, maybe that was the future goose. Implicate like the effects of the Great Fire of London were because... I mean... Spoiler alert, it's still here. (laughs) Yeah. JFK assassination. (laughs) (laughs) By goose. The goose on the grassy knoll. The goosey knoll. (laughs) Lee Harvey Goswold. Um, And then there's a lot. Norman Conquest of England. The Black Death. The atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki.
0: All excellent topics for our light-hearted Comedy Nature
1: podcast. Exactly, yeah. There's, There's no possible way that two guys, without much of an understanding of any of those events to really give them justice, could handle them in how a goose would fit in. But what we can say with confidence is that if a goose went back to ancient Egypt... All of civilization
0: thereafter would be goose based. And that's a fact. There you have it, listeners. It's the first episode of Hot Goose Summer in the Bag. We're going to be popping up periodically a few more times over the next few weeks before we're back with our next full season in the autumn. Remember to download the free Bird app if you want to claim your How Many Geese badge. And if you want to support the podcast by giving us a donation, then head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash how many geese. Thank you all for listening, sharing, commenting, and getting involved. And we'll see you again pretty soon.